and welcome to another episode of the Land Party Lawyers Podcast. My name is Steve Blickensdurfer, and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Nick Brown. If you're one of our regular listeners, welcome back. For our new listeners, on this podcast, we tackle issues at the intersection of video games, law, and business through debate, discussion, and interviews. We try to focus on legal issues in particular and offer our takeaways and our thoughts, but remember, nothing we say is legal advice. And today, we're going to be focusing on an event that's affected everyone's lives all across the world, and that is the coronavirus and its effect on events, digital events, uh, live events, and events in the gaming space in particular. Uh, So Nick, I I know we're not actually in the same room this time. We're at least six feet away, uh, rest assured, Uh, but we are hunkered down under quarantine, uh, both of us trying to be safe and practice uh, good social distancing. But there's a lot of crazy stuff happening, and uh, Nick, why don't you just give us a little bit of a background as to what that is? Sure. So unless you've been living living under a rock for the past uh, few weeks or months, uh, you've probably noticed that there's some crazy stuff happening uh, that's affecting everybody's lives. Uh, various governments are issuing certain lockdown orders, and a bunch of people and event coordinators are taking it upon themselves to try to prevent some some public health problems, and they are canceling events, events that other people have, have assumed would go on no matter what. Events like E3 has been canceled this year. GDC has been canceled this year. That's the Game Development Conference. Yeah. Right. And then even outside of the you know video game and esports sphere, uh, we're seeing almost everything else get canceled too. The NBA season's been canceled. Uh, the NCAA has been canceled. A bunch of sporting events, concerts. NHL. NHL. I don't know what else. By the time you listen to this, there will probably even be more things that have been canceled since the date of this recording. And so it's safe to assume that everyone, including you, will experience significant effects of this global pandemic that we're experiencing. Uh, We may be dealing with it for weeks or months or in some respects, even years. And so Steve and I thought it would make a lot of sense to discuss some basic contractual concerns that are implicated by these events, because as you might expect, and certainly as we would hope, every one of these events probably involve at least one contract, probably many, many more contracts. And so the question becomes, what do the parties have to do? What are their rights and obligations if something like this comes along and yanks the rug out from under everybody's feet? Right. So there are these, uh, I agree with you, Nick, hope there's a contract in place to govern the the event. And usually what you have in these contracts is a a term that oftentimes, even before uh, the coronavirus um, people kind of o- often overlooked, and that's an act of God or force majeure provision. Those are typically found in contracts. And basically what that does is is it, it says um, in the event of these acts of God's or uh, force majeure events, um, the party's obligations on the contract will cease. You don't have to continue to act under the contract if one of these events take place. And so what does a force majeure mean? And and just looking at the dictionary, it means a superior or irresistible force, a French fancy French term for basically something that's beyond anyone's control. And you can imagine, Nick, that force majeure, what is a force majeure could mean uh, a lot of things, or it could mean a few things, depending on how you look at it. So oftentimes in these contracts, in these force majeure provisions, to the extent they exist, you have specific examples of force majeure events, uh, war, famine, uh, you know, maybe big union strikes or something, labor shortages, extreme weather, hurricanes or something. Um, and you'd oftentimes also see... An, an, 
epidemics. Um, maybe you would see a pandemic, which is kind of what we're facing with the coronavirus. Um, but these these provisions are often kind of stuck in the contracts, um, often without much thought, because how often do these events take place, especially in more stable countries uh, such as right. the United States? These are the type of provisions that non-lawyers usually laugh at because they think lawyers are overly cautious for coming up with all these different contingencies. And although... You know, these are provisions that have been in, in contracts for many, many years, and they're usually never raised. Right now, they're becoming pretty relevant. Yeah. So we would just kind of want to go over what force majeure means. And if you didn't have one of those in your contracts, uh, does that mean you're out of luck? Or kind of what are the thought process? What's the thought process that these companies are going through as they are having to cancel events or reschedule events? And so just important first point when, when discussing force majeure is that this term um, is not a common law or it's not something that exists outside of the contract automatically. You actually have to have included it in your contract in order for you to be able to take advantage or you know seek it as a defense of you know there's an epidemic going on or a pandemic going on and so we're not going to be able to move forward with the event and I don't have to pay you or send people and open myself up to the lawsuit because of this pandemic and so you'd have to actually have it it has to be specifically addressed in the contract otherwise there's no force majeure that you can rely on so you have to check the contract and you also have to check the definitions in the contract because again as I said before it can mean a lot of things um, and so one of the things tying it back to the coronavirus that we were often called to do was check to see a is the does you know is there a contract does the contract contain a force majeure provision and what does that force majeure provision say what does it include in the in the examples or definition of force majeure. Some of them are better right. than others, but as you said, Nick, um, this often wasn't thought about as something that was important before a couple weeks ago. And now it's very, very important, and, and some companies are being even thoughtful of revisiting and revising their contracts to more expressly state what a force majeure event is. But uh, all hope is not lost if there is no force majeure provision in a contract. And Nick, I think you're going to talk about some of those common law defenses that are otherwise available in the event there is no force majeure provision in a contract. Sure. So one thing to keep in mind uh, is that these rules change depending on what jurisdiction you're in. So Steve and I are going to go over some general rules, but none of this may apply in your jurisdiction. You, you need to determine what your jurisdiction's particular rules are. That said, for educational purposes, we'll walk you through some of the majority rules and some of the general rules and, and how these things work in most places. So one of the defenses uh, that's a common law defense for non-performance, meaning that you know whether it's in your contract or not, you may be able to raise it in court as a reason why you didn't do what you said you'd do under the contract. One of them, and these kind of go together, is the, the notion of impossibility and impracticability. So what does that mean? Basically, that means where after you make the contract, a party's ability to do what they said they'd do under the contract becomes un impossible. It becomes impractical. Uh, and it's, it's, it was a basic assumption on which the contract was originally made that that person would be able to do the thing, right? So what does that mean? Uh, you know, uh, keeping with the, the current example of coronavirus, well, if you had a contract to, let's say, put on a concert uh, this week, and you are unable to put on that concert either because the government has said that you cannot 
put on concerts because there's too many people or because your entire, you know, uh, let's say your road crew has become incapacitated by this virus. That might be something that could render your performance. You're putting on the, the concert impossible or impracticable. And this, these generally include things that are called uh, three types of impossible uh, possibility or impracticability. One of them is called an act of God. We've all heard this term. What does it mean? It's some sort of overwhelming, unpreventable event caused exclusively by the forces of nature. You know, we usually see this with an earthquake or a hurricane in Florida, tornadoes in other parts of the country. Those are your typical, uh, prototypical examples of acts of God. But there's other types of impossibility or impracticability too. Another one of them is where the act that you have contracted to do becomes illegal. One great example of that is if you scheduled, to keep with the same example, to put on a concert many, many months ago, and it's this is the week of the concert, and now the government has said no gatherings of people over 50. Well, then even though you could have put on this concert, it would be illegal to do so now because of the intervening government action. And so that may qualify as impossibility or impracticability that would excuse you from performance of the contract. And then the third common type of impossibility or impracticability is when something just becomes absolutely impossible to perform, where there's just no amount of money or elbow grease that can come together to allow you to do what you said. Uh, An extreme example would be, you know, I agreed to host something at this hotel and then the hotel actually fell over because of something that's no part, no fault of my own. It's impossible for me at that point to host an event at the hotel. And so those are the types of things that somebody might be able to raise to, to prevent, you know, getting liable, uh, being held liable for being unable to perform under that contract. I, I was going to chime in here, Nick, and just to say, I mean, before I mentioned force majeure is not something that exists in the common law, but you can see how this sounds a lot like what you would otherwise be thinking about when you think of a force majeure contract provision. Um, it's just there's certain elements depending on your jurisdiction that you need to meet in order to basically um, take advantage of that defense into the common law, the impossibility or impracticability defense. And so, you know, it's oftentimes a lot easier to know what's expected of you if you've written it out in a contract and have a force majeure provision. But that's just the difference is one's in a contract and the other one exists in the absence of a contract provision. There's still this possible defense that exists. Beware because something doesn't become impossible or impracticable in the context that we're talking about here just because it's bad for you. Keep in mind, it has to be unexpected and not reasonably foreseeable. So if you get a flat tire on your way to the event, that probably doesn't count. That probably counts as something that you could have predicted and brought a spare with you. Uh, It needs to be something more than that most of the time. And, you know, a global pandemic may suffice. The other one that we wanted to mention is frustration of purpose, which is a little more abstract, but it gets to the same point, which is where after the contract is made, your whole purpose for entering into the contract has been frustrated, right? Without fault by you, by the occurrence of this event that nobody could have predicted, but which everyone assumed would never happen. So this has a couple of extra elements. It says four elements, but it goes, gets to the same point, which is an event occurred that made, basically made it you know, unreasonable, your whole purpose for entering into the contract, right? 
So it has to be a total frustration to the point where the contract has no value. And both sides must have had the same purpose. So it's not going to be enough when you go to sell someone your widgets and all of a sudden the widgets are defective because your purposes are different. One party there wanted to sell the widgets. One party wanted to buy the widgets. And so only one party's purpose has been frustrated under that circumstance. And so the party delivering the defective widgets probably can't claim frustration of purpose. Probably. Probably. Yeah, it's it's just, it's harder it's harder to argue that one versus again, go to the contract. This says this is a, a qualifying event and so because that happened, we've already agreed that that's going to excuse everyone's performance. That's the difference between having a contract with a force majeure provision or relying on these common law defenses like frustration of purpose and impossibility. Sorry, just had to jump in there again. No, it's a lot. It, it, it's a good, great point because there's a lot less certainty when you're relying on common law provisions. If you could have included something in your contract that deals with this specific event, almost always both parties are going to be better off because you'll have added certainty over just relying on the gap-filling function of certain common law provisions. Right. So what are we seeing in response to this? Companies are understandably scrambling, right? Companies event coordinators and content creators are all scrambling to try to figure out how to deal with this. Steve, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, Yeah, as you mentioned, Nick, a lot of events are being canceled. And so, you know, 2019 was the year of, is esports a sport, right? That was the, that was what's trending on Twitter and what everybody says, you know, is the debate or isn't really the question to be asked. This year, who cares, right? Because now it's the only sport and it's the only game in town. Uh, That's right. For, for all intents and purposes. It's esports time to shine. Right. So you actually have uh, sports athletes who are playing esports, NASCAR drivers who are driving, um, you know, online uh, games, and, and NHL hockey players playing playing online, and basketball and players. Some, yeah, 2K. I saw NBA players are playing, finishing their season in 2K, which is uh, amazing. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Um, and it just goes to show you the 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 potential that esports has to fill just uh, a void that we all have right now and so what we initially saw at the beginning when all the events were being canceled is that actually esports was very much canceled too the live events in particular because the live events is very much a, a core component of you know the top esports leagues in particular or even if you go to a uh, the, the fighting games uh, going live. It's a lot of fun to see everybody kind of gather together, but that could not happen now. So they had to kind of cancel those events that were already planned and just go completely digital. And so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing these events, these esports events, and also the events in the game space kind of go to these digital events and these digital offerings. And so it's exciting. Uh, it, you know, it, it helps to satisfy our obligations right now as we're all under these. Uh, these quarantines to not be in a certain range with one another and we can still enjoy the content we can still hear the commentators even though they're you know probably in their own houses right um but we're still delivering these awesome events and so that's what we're seeing it might not be uh, as amazing as we want it to be but it's still nice to see esports uh being able to fill a void that we all have as a result of of what's been going on yeah and it showcases one of the real strengths of esports which is you know, there's always benefit to being there in person, for sure. I'm, I'm not going to discount that. But one great thing about esports is that you can get a lot of the experience from just by watching it online. And so that's one thing that makes esports a little bit different 
than traditional sports where the gulf between watching online and going in person is is probably a little bit bigger. Esports having been designed to be watched on a screen and enjoyed that way from the ground up, uh, you know, this is really esports time to shine. So it may be a little bit inconvenient on the front end that these events are getting canceled and we can't go do the fun things we were looking forward to doing. But, you know, ultimately, I think this is going to result in esports uh, making leaps and bounds in terms of advancements in the, the popular zeitgeist and, you know, has the added uh, benefit of maybe saving people's lives, which certainly we can't uh, complain about. Good fringe benefit right there. Uh, so some takeaways if you are if you find yourself either you're concerned about an event that's coming up that you are either hosting or participating in whether as a vendor or uh, someone who's supplying labor or even just merchandise uh, what can you do start with your contract hopefully you have one if you don't yep. then you probably should have called a lawyer first um, but hopefully you have a contract review it review it with the assistance of counsel and see if you have the necessary protections in place or provisions in the event of a force majeure and remember uh, you know the biggest takeaway of all is that force majeure it's not Nick's cologne it is a uh, a well defined <laughs> area i guess Speak you know, for yourself. <laughs> that you can define in a contract uh, to mean these these uh, events like this pandemic that's been happening with the coronavirus. Uh, other things you can do in the event that A, you got a contract, B, it does or doesn't have this this provision in it, you can always talk to the other side or to the business partner that you're dealing with um, yep. who's handling Reach the event. Reach out and give them some notice. Let them know what you're thinking. Let them know what your thought process is. See if you can come to some sort of agreement about how to deal with this that will avoid the need for costly litigation. Right. And then also think about force majeure going forward, right? Revisit your contracts for your events with the thought in mind, well, this totally just happened this year. Um, next year, I, I want to make sure I've, I've, I'm prepared and I'm not going to just make force majeure an afterthought. Or, or give it the little thought that it has been given for so many you know years for so many folks because it just never has been been triggered before or very very few times has it ever been triggered so giving it some thought you know t kicking the tires on the definition making sure you're satisfied with it and also uh, thinking about going digital maybe that should be written in the contract have you considered if a force majeure event is triggered, maybe if it's within a certain period of time and there's some money and, and, and time invested into the event, maybe there is a requirement that the parties actually contractually must consider a digital event first before they just straight up walk walk away from the contract and don't do the event. I, I've seen that with some, some events uh, going forward, especially in this space, because it, it lends itself to digital events. And so uh, if you are in the event space, consider writing it, crafting it into your contract. I think that's a very good idea. Yeah, and one other thing that, uh, you know, I'm going to look into my crystal ball here, as, as Steve likes to encourage us to do. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think something we're going to see a lot of focus on in the next few years as people deal with the fallout from the cancellation of events due to this pandemic, I think a lot of it's going to focus on the issue of foreseeability because every contract incorporates the notion of foreseeability into it, right? Like we were talking about with force majeure, if something so unforeseeable occurs that comes and blows your contract away, the law may recognize some some remedy or some, you know, relaxing of your obligations there under. But if it was foreseeable or if the other side can convince the judge or the court that it was foreseeable, 
Well, then you're going to have an entirely different problem to deal with. And keep in mind, what's foreseeable changes over time. Was this pandemic foreseeable when it started making news back in October and November of last year, 2019? Or was it foreseeable back in January when it started to make its way over to the United States? Or are these cancellations only foreseeable now that the the you know the spread of the disease has has exploded and other people are canceling events? What if you scheduled an event today to take place a couple months from now? Would it be foreseeable if the uh, coronavirus situation ends up canceling that too? All these issues, you know, th- what is foreseeable depends on the available evidence at the time. And what somebody can convince was uh, available evidence uh, looking in hindsight. So keep in mind the concept of foreseeability. I think we're all going to see that come up a lot. And as you look at your own contracts and rewriting them or perhaps entering into new agreements, keep in mind what somebody might determine to be foreseeable as of the day that you enter into them. Uh, because that may have an enormous impact on your ability to deal with these things as they arise. Well said. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of the Land Party Lawyers Podcast. Be sure to check out our other episodes from Season 2 and Season 1. You can connect with us on Instagram. uh, Just look up Land Party Lawyers. Twitter or our website, landpartylawyers.com. We'd love to hear your comments and opinions about topics we cover, so if you have any, please reach out. And so, uh, Nick, unless you've got anything further... I, I do have one further thing. Please, folks, be safe, practice good hygiene, wash your hands, and engage in social distancing so we can try to beat this uh, as quickly and effectively as possible and get back to our lives. There you go. Thank you so much, and game on. Game on. You've been listening to the Land Party Lawyers podcast series with Steve Blickensturfer and Nick Brown. To learn more about our e-gaming and esports practice, visit carltonfields.com. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields. Thanks for listening.